Flyover Footy. This is a it's it's me and Matt Baker. Phil Grooms here, and it's a more laid back episode. No KTRS calls on this one, and so it's going to feel a little bit like flyover of the old days before. Really, kind of this is what we were like before the MLS teams started playing games in a way. Yeah, I have. Uh, I've had people ask me how long we've been doing this, and they assume mm. it was just the start of the season, start of city. And when I tell them that you've been doing this since 2015, and I've been with you since 2019 with Stu and Santi, people yeah. are like, "Oh, well, what did you talk about? How did how how did you do that?" And I'm Get like, "Well, I know uh, seriously, and that's <laughs> fine. It's a fine question. Yeah. But you know, it's St. Louis FC. That was a mm-hmm. thing, and then City themselves have been around since 2019. We've had yeah. news rumors. We had the academy we covered for a while." City two last year was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. but yeah, this is a more callback to those days where we, we don't have anything upcoming on the radio for better, or for worse. Um, <laughs> we, we don't have any match to look forward to. And yeah. so this is just going to be kind of a fun chat, a, a look back as best we can on what happened this past week, especially with the club America game and trying to break it all down and make sense of it as we look ahead to the next what three three and a half weeks of nothingness mm-hmm. yeah exactly that's kind of what i was going to say is that we are talking about a game today but the next couple of weeks it's going to feel a lot like like preseason even preseason of mls next to a uh, pro so it really is and bradley carnell said that he's given the team uh the week off basically mm-hmm. so they're regrouping on august 5th as a team and they'll have some guys play with city two here and there but especially for the next week there's not going to be a whole lot of whole lot of st louis city news i would imagine yeah i don't know if the question was asked i listened to the presser i don't think it was uh but i imagine someone will ask it at some point but first rabbit trail of the episode here, Matt, uh, what do you think about like taking a week off? It's almost like that American playoffs conversation. Like, do you want the buy or do you want to keep your momentum going? Like, what do you think about fitness and playing, uh, being back in form when we restart here? Well, I think this this partially goes to the conversation that we're going to have about the starting lineups between Columbus and Club America. But I see a pretty clear delineation on what our priorities are this year. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily detrimental to any one match or another. And it's definitely not uh, throwing in the towel in any match because you can't play 34 MLS matches plus open cup matches plus leagues cup matches, hope to get in the playoffs and make a run. You can't do all of that by just starting 11 guys Mm -hmm. and, and having your usual three, four, five subs. You can't do it. Guys will break down and they won't be available. And that's not not even counting the injuries we've had to deal with from Klaus, Leuven, Blom, Alm, et cetera. Yeah. And so I, I think this is more of an opportunity than anything else now. And yes, the there was a massive cash prize associated with the League's Cup. We're going to get something for participating, but mm-hmm. there's that aspect to it. The $40 million pool that was reported that, that was available, the more you went into it. Um, but as an expansion side who has just built out their roster, we knew our, our depth was more or less thin as far as, uh, the 20 through 30 spots. Like we're pulling guys up from next pro from USL and we're developing them still. And so Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a depth in that regard, but it's difficult enough for an established team to focus on two or three competitions. It's why the double and the treble are so difficult to attain, especially with MLS and the roster rules that exist. But as a first year team, the, we have to, this is another opportunity to reset or level set our expectations, not just in the 
past in the past few months, but going forward of there was never a, an, a, an expectation of winning League's Cup and winning the season. Mm. I, I, that was never something I heard. It was always very, uh, very dichotomy type discussions of I want to I want to go far in the League's Cup. I think this is an opportunity to prove ourselves independent. Like the, there was always an independence to the regular season or there was. I'm okay if we don't go far because let's rest, let's get healthy, bring Klaus, Nielsen, and Torison back or Torison in, and then make a run down the stretch. Nobody ever that I could see on any comment board, any any social media was ever saying we can do both and be successful at both. And so, you know, here we are having been bounced from League's Cup, and now we have to look forward to the season where we are still in first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I there were a couple takes on Twitter that I didn't care for. I think there were three that I was that I was thinking of in my head. Uh, the first one was an idiotic take saying that the Tifo was bad. Oh. No, it was freaking amazing. It was so cool. And to see the Santos people have so like I saw a lot of emotion about that thing. I know they put a lot of work into it. I thought it looked amazing. I saw the imagery and why they did what they did. Well Love done. the explainer. Love the yeah. explainer. Uh, another bad take for me was um why did we play the backups versus Columbus? Mm-hmm. You know, this is the take they're saying. I'm not saying they're backups. People are like, why did we play such a bad roster against Columbus? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, if we had won against Columbus, this game wouldn't have mattered as much. And that's kind of like the the question I was asking you versus kind of what you said um, versus that idea. You know, like we are perhaps if we were more of a mid table team in MLS Cup that might not have happened, right? It might've been two strong uh, rosters or we put the Columbus one ahead to see what we can do and slip in perhaps as, as a second team in the group yeah. or even play with our luck with with uh, Club America with tired legs. Who knows what would have happened or could have happened. But as it turns out, as you were getting at, we're first in MLS Cup in the West. So like ride that, protect it. Um, don't go overboard in League's Cup. Don't throwing the towel by any means. I don't think they did, but it was a conservative approach, wasn't it? It was definitely a conservative approach, but I, I let's, I mean, let's dive into that piece first because it predates the club America game. I, I was talking with Santi and at the end of the day with the weather delay, what it was, that's an extra reason why I wasn't overly questioning the decision um, you had Parker and Berkey coming off the all-star break where they had played just about every single minute available. Berkey had. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking at an opportunity to give him some time, not travel him, and that that not take anything away from the MLS season where that's still our focus and what we're, what we're striving for. But also a lot of the players who did start have a lot of experience starting for City. That's been one of the benefits of this rotation that we've gone through, these iterations of City throughout this season, where you start with guys like John Nelson and Jake Nerwinski. And then over the past five, six games, it turns into a Kyle Hebert, a, an Akeel Watts, Josh Yarrow's broken in. You have Sam Adeneron seeing a, a host of minutes and you're bringing Eddie Leuven back. So you're seeing like iterations of what you would consider a starting 11 or a best 11 for St. Louis. Mm. And that that enables opportunities like this to where you can say we're not throwing in the towel, even though you don't perceive it to be your best 11 at the time. John Nelson, Jake Nerwinski, they've won us a ton of matches throughout this year with their play. It is different than a guy like Kyle Hebert or Keel Watts. Their styles are different and their abilities are different, but 
in and of themselves, they have helped us win throughout this year. And so I see, I see the Columbus match as less of purposefully, purposefully trying to, you know, passively being passive in the game, not trying to win it. It's not that to me, it's seeing the, the known issue also of traveling in MLS and how difficult it is. It's the hardest league in the world to travel in the stats back that up, that parody is insane in MLS when it comes to visiting teams. And that's why away, away winning records are so rare in MLS. Uh, there might, I think there's only three or four teams in the entire league that have winning records away. Columbus has only lost one match at home in league play this year against Miami back in April. And so they've been in great form. They ran out their best starting lineup. Mm. And so when you look at all those things together, our ability to put in players who have experience starting and, and yeah. give time to rest those who have gotten us this far recently in our best form, along with what Columbus is able to do and their home form. I don't have an issue with the lineup that we threw out against Columbus because it, it also enabled us to take our best 11, quote unquote, at the time into Club America at home. And so we, we talked on Fallout 2 of Club America is the game where all the eyes are on. You do mm. want to throw your best against them to test yourself. If you're not yeah. going to test yourself against the best with your best, then what are you doing? And what we did against Columbus really allowed us to do that. Absolutely. And and if you are the one that you wish we had gone all out on every game in League's Cup, we're not saying you're wrong. Uh, we're just, yeah, I think we're a little bit biased in the other direction on that. And I love that. You know, that was one of um, the quotes from Carnell that, that you tweeted and, and, I, and I saw in the presser was that, you know, we got to test ourselves against something more and and we came fell short and now the guys know that it's not just about doing well in mls there's another level out there that we're not even close to reaching you know and so that's another level to challenge them on what a great game and you know we'll take that humbling if it helps um you know mindset going forward so um let's talk about that lineup though let's dig into the game a little bit finally um talk about the st louis's lineup matt if you want to lead off with that and, and we'll go from there yeah, St. Louis's lineup, we brought back Roman Berkey and Net, and we had what we would mostly consider our best 11 in current form with Kyle mm -hmm. Hebert, Tim Parker, Josh Yarrow, and Akil Watts as our back line. It was a 4-2-3-1 with our double pivot of Edu Leuven and Indiana Vasilev, Jared Stroud, AZ Jackson, Rasmus Alm on our attacking midfield, and then Nico Joachini up top, where Alm kind of pressed forward at times. The big thing with this starting lineup is the lack of Jabulu Blom. And that was the, the, the thing everybody pointed to as where's Blom, what's going on. He was available for um, the pregame press conference this week, and he was training, so what's the deal? Come to find out, it's a groin injury-ish, I, I say, because there wasn't anything. Carnell said after the game there wasn't anything diagnosable that they had for Blom, but it was he felt something against in the Columbus match when he subbed in in the second half. He felt something, and so they were monitoring it. And I really liked what Carnell said it, he was very honest about their tactical decisions in the second half, especially with Blome, saying that if they had been up to nothing, they probably would have thrown caution to the wind, got mm -hmm. him out there and tried to protect that kind of a lead at all costs. But having having gone down so quickly in the second half, three nothing, just what was it, 55 minutes or so into the game, they made the tactical decision of preserving the player's health and and making that conscious decision, he said, to not put him in. And so best, best 11 currently minus Blome, And that's really where it got us. I think is without Blome staying back in that defensive midfield, providing some cover for our back line, 
we're going to talk about some of the the issues throughout the game. I think that's kind of where you have to start is not having that that solid defensive midfielder and allowing a double pivot where you're moving guys up and down a little bit more freely than Blom mm-hmm. usually does. Yeah, uh, that's one of many um, thoughts on on that choice in general. Um, one other thing I want to say about this lineup was, um, you know, I would say this is what we would like. I agree with you. Minus Blom, I think this is like the starting eleven with whoever's available and who's in form right now, based on recent successes in MLS. And I thought the interesting move for me was the fact that um, Az Aziel Jackson was in rather than Sam Adeniran for this one, or over Nico even. But I think we all consider Nico to be our, our best finishing forward right now. Um, and the fact that Az was in there over Sam, you know, I thought Sam. We talked about how perfect I thought he was as a forward against Columbus. Um, it didn't work out, but I I, th- I loved that he started that game, and I love that Nico was already with fresh legs to start this game. And it was just interesting to see Azil in there. And I thought it was really smart that if you're against a team that you might have to struggle against, it might be smart to have a dribbly 10 out there to maybe take some hits um, around the box to give uh, uh, Leuven a a chance at a free kick goal. Yeah, and that was one thing that I don't think worked too well for us, though, because we Hmm. found a lot of times that we progressed the ball from midfield to our attacking third. And creatively, especially centrally, once we got into the attacking third into the box, there was a whole lot of dispossessing going on and finding stone walls where we weren't able to protect the ball to near the level of quality that club America was. If you watch a whole lot of the times club America is attacked in those one V ones where they have the ball, they turn their backs to us. They protect the ball Mm -hmm. in, in a willingness to continue possession and, and, protect and keep the ball at all costs there was one one the first goal in fact uh, that henry martin scored was because of that it was i believe suarez who kept possession on that and so those opportunities that club america preserved for themselves we didn't and that's not our, our style hasn't been to do that so when we need to when we're being attacked 1v1 so consistently in the attacking third and we're losing the ball we're not able to get those final pass or two off it does hurt us that we're being so a little cavalier in how we're moving the ball up. And it has mm-hmm. proven successful many times this year, but against this high level opponent, the highest level opponent we've played by far this year, they were able to stonewall us extremely well. They were. And the stonewalling I, was the one thing where I, I wasn't sure if that was going to be the level that it was. I wasn't sure they were going to be able to shut things down as well as they did. Like clearly we have those, those comments about, Club America's salary. And so they should be able to shut down a team like St. Louis defensively. But I thought if there was one thing that was unproven, you know, with them, it wasn't the attack. It wasn't strategy. It was, you know, can we challenge their defense? Can we get some turnovers in their side? And as you said, they were able to defend well and they were able to pass through our press regularly throughout the entire game. I don't know if we should go too much into that now. Now's fine with me. I don't know because there's a lot to say here or maybe we should get into the game. What do you think, Matt? I mean, I'm good with going through the game flow and just kind of seeing what happened on those goals because that'll probably provide a pretty good context for what mm-hmm. what was so successful for Club America. And to me, it all started, I mean, it started early, obviously, in the fifth minute. Henry Martin scoring the goal. It started from a long goal kick. Uh, Tim Parker was unable to really clear it out. He got a foot on it, but it really didn't pass midfield. It was recovered by Julian Quinones, who was just all over the field. I mean, 
mm-hmm. like Quinones, his name's going to pop up throughout all of these goals. And I'm pretty sure he was on a different part of the field, a different area of the field. Every single time he impacted these goal scoring chances for club America. Yeah. I had to look at his position. I was like, he had to have been playing the 10 and he wasn't, he wasn't, <laughs> he was playing left wing, but he had a lot of freedom. Yeah. And left wing center forward. He was yeah. up there and he was pushing high. He was dropping back when he needed to, he was delivering, he was finishing. But in this case, um, Quinones recovered the ball on the left side around midfield. He passes it over to Suarez, who does just, like, like I said, a fantastic job, magnificent job of keeping possession because Edu Leuven was all over him on the right channel, their right channel. But when Suarez was able to slide it over to Quinones, who had positioned himself inside the box, making that run after passing it off, Quinones was being marked by Yarrow. And as Quinones entered the box and Suarez passes the ball, pretty it was a pretty mid-sized pass. It wasn't a short pass. It goes in front of Tim Parker. Right. Parker is marking uh, Martin. And as the ball goes in front of Parker, Parker watches the ball as Quinones receives it. And once Quinones receives it, Martin doesn't end around Tim Parker into the box, gets on his other side. And then by the time Parker is able to realize it, Quinones makes the pass. Martin creates a little space behind him and scores the goal. I was uh, in the moment a little disheartened by Tim Parker in where in just watching the ball move across, I, I started talking myself out of the the being overly upset just by the sheer fact that Quinones is so dangerous as a finisher. That's why Club America signed him. That's why they paid nearly $10 million in a transfer fee for him. It's to finish and to create these kinds of chances. So knowing that Josh Yarrow was marking him, to me it was more a, a sense of we didn't have enough players in the box to allow for one of our defenders to be mindful of two attackers, which is what Parker was trying to do. Parker was trying to be mindful of making sure Quinones didn't create enough space for himself, while at the same time making sure that Martin was covered. And he tried to do one, and he did not do the other. Mm-hmm. Nobody behind him to help. No Hebert, no Watts in the area. It was it was simple from there. It was. And I mean, that's skill. That's not an accident. You know, the, no. the fact that there were that many yellow jerseys in the box moving forward, picking their runs and the times timing of their runs. These guys are so talented just watching them. This goal was my favorite of, of the game because I don't blame Parker. I mean, that move that Quinones, Quinones did was well, like incredible. The back heel, he faked uh, one way and back heel yeah. to the other side to an on-running Martin who, you know, wasn't followed. I think that might've been the biggest problem of, of that move, but it was beautiful. It was good soccer club America fans. Like I see what you like, you know what I mean? (laughs) It was really nice. Um, the rest, perhaps I thought St. Louis should have done, done better, but that one was a tip your cap moment for me personally. Yeah, that that was just outclassed, and yeah. the way that they were able to string together those passes and position themselves appropriately, given what the defense was offering, that was just magnificent. But a lot of the problems that St. Louis had from there, and you noted one uh, in the 13-minute mark, where our wings were so vulnerable at times, and this is our defensive wings back where our fullbacks are. And when I when I looked at a few examples, I kept coming back to the fact that when we were attacking the ball, when we had the ball in possession. We dropped to more of a three center back look. There were only three players on our back line that stayed back to to 
keep that that high line, we would send a fullback a little higher, whether it was in space, which Kyle Hebert actually was sent forward in space a little a lot more than I was used to seeing him. Usually he's tucked more away. On, I <laughs> yeah. Usually he's tucked away on the, the touchline, whether it's, yeah. uh, whether it's deep or pressing high, but he found himself into space quite a bit last night. Same with Akio Watts, but we're used to that a little bit more from him. And so St. Louis did that. They alternated fullbacks pressing up and pressing high and club America almost was looking for that. I, I really did feel like they were looking for which side are they pressing high with because once they got the ball and were attempting counters, whether it was Quinones, whether it was Suarez, uh, they were looking for which wing to press the ball up to. And that's where we got into trouble is Watts was high and the the center back next to him, I think it was Yarrow, uh, was forced to defend out wide, creating so much space between our center backs when you're having to pull your right center back out to the right wing and defend in transition. That was that was an issue for the entirety of the night. It was, and it, it was purpose. It was clearly, like you said, purposeful for Club America. You've seen teams attack us in that way, but never with such ease and precision was it enacted on us. You know, maybe Minnesota was one that did an especially good job at that. But my goodness, like there was always that outlet player on one of the wings, waiting for our fullback to push forward. And then the break would happen. There'd be a couple passes. And this man, you know, the center backs would have to be focusing centrally. And whoever that was on that weak side would be wide open. And you, how many times did we see Yarrow just like chasing um, someone on the run toward yeah. goal? You know, how many, how many messed up uh, finishes did Club America have in this from a wide angle because they were wide open on that wing? And, and, and I keep thinking about like, why did this happen? I really, I was really angry after that game about that one thing, um, only this one thing. And I was like, make sure we ask about this in, in the presser because I, now that I've calmed down, I've thought about <laughs> lots of other options about why did they do this? You know, and I fit in just a little bit of rewatching today um, before uh, we started. And Taylor Twelman even said, you know, in the middle of the of the broadcast, if they could get Hebert or Watts to push up higher and force Club America to defend them and use them up high, then they wouldn't be able to leave those guys. So this is a risk either way. Club America was risking by leaving an attacker forward like they did mm -hmm. because if Watts or Hebert were able to capitalize on that lack of a defender in the in the Club America half, then great. That's advantage to City. That's uh, an opportunity there. But as much as Watts was pushing forward and Hebert was pushing forward at different times, they were not at all dangerous enough. And again, just maybe slamming into the quality of Club America. But I've thought of a lot of different reasons, and I would love to hear. I think we'll get it uh, at some point because this isn't the end of this problem, the end of this look. Um, and we'll ask Carnell, like, what is going on in those instances? What are you looking for? How are they able to capitalize on us? Why does this keep happening is even a worthy question, in my opinion. And it also, lastly, makes me think about Nelson's problems throughout the season. We're seeing this happen in spades with Watts in this game. And, you know, we're, we're yelling at Nelson throughout, you know, his problems defending. Uh, but maybe this is a system thing. Maybe the fullback is the guy that takes the fall for a lot of these um, broken presses that we see. Because I think a lot of those times Watts was up forward, adding the second or the third man in the press, the double, triple team. And when Club America is able to pass out of that, then it's just on. We've seen that multiple times. 
you hit the nail on the head and that it's a system thing to me because you could point to numerous examples throughout our different best 11 in in both sides so if nelson and nerwinski are in it was often nelson who was pushing higher and so he gets the fall for not not being as defensively sound as we need to on the left side and we're being exposed when you slot in Hebert and you you have Nelson or Hebert and Nerwinski, you're keeping Hebert back more. Hebert does push. I mean, they alternate every single game uh, during the game, but more or less, Hebert has been more comfortable staying back. And so you have Nerwinski pressing higher and and being more involved in the attack. And then we're more vulnerable on the right because yeah. because we're not watching for like Watts said uh, a couple of weeks ago when I asked him how how does he. How does he treat moving up and defending when he's when he's that pressing fullback? And he it was a pretty simple answer, but it was just looking over his shoulder. Yeah. And so if that's how you know to to move back, you're looking over your shoulder. But at the same time, you're trying to move forward. That's how you get caught in these counterattacks. When mm-hmm. your your brain is telling you push forward, be a part of the offense, be a part of the passing network, and then all of a sudden we turn the ball over in our uh, attacking third or near midfield. And they see an opening behind you. So you don't have time to look behind your shoulder. And there's suddenly one or two guys back there. That's what happened a lot last night, both sides. And I think that that's why any at any point this season, you've had Nelson, you've had Nerwinski, you've had Hebert, especially that Nashville game comes to mind. And you've had uh, Akil Watts now who have had moments of being exposed in that way. Mm-hmm. And, and they're doing what the system is asking them to do they're we're just not being successful in the attacking end in retaining possession that allows them to make an impact in the attack because one of the notes i had is in the 19th minute especially we had a really good opportunity in the midfield where az jackson had the ball from nico he made a run and then it was just it fizzled out in our attacking third because they were too fast the they were too clinical on their 1v1s and they didn't allow us to have any time to get anything set up. Mm-hmm. And that, that was very persistent to me. And, and one of the reasons why I think we faltered on the wings, because we're trying to do that, but in the process of pushing up, they're immediately getting the ball back before we have a usual chance to make uh, a really deep run to the end line and we're beat on the wing suddenly. And just to simplify it, um, I think if we're watching games as, you know, active watchers, sometimes live, it's really difficult. Uh, But if you're watching um, a replay or you're watching an away game and you see Nelson or Watts get beat or you see Yarrow or Parker having to make up for the lack of a fullback running wide, you know, full tilt and you see them mess up a play, any one of those players I just mentioned, um, don't just yell at Nelson. Don't just think Parker sucks or Yarrow sucks and they need to be subbed out for the next game. The nuance thing is to rewind it a few seconds and look, did they break the press once, twice, three times? Was someone caught upfield um, trying to attack? You know, these are things we can ask ourselves to kind of have a more nuanced look at each individual player. Um, I think Nelson's caught a lot of trouble throughout the season. And again, just to Perhaps this is an example that this is a system thing. It's not just an individual player problem. Well, the the second goal was off of it was after a corner kick in the 50th minute. And the play leading up to that is pretty um, representative of that notion as well. It was another time where our back line was beaten and it was because certain players were tasked with moving the ball high up the field. And it was a turnover that led to it. And that's mm-hmm. often how how these runs and these counterattacks beat us because they're turnovers that because we keep a high line and because we're asking our fullbacks to press forward, 
these turnovers are so so dangerous yeah. to face because they they are they often create one v ones. And so at this moment in the fiftieth minute, there was one v one pressure from Club America the entire time. But here it was on Jared Stroud as he was working the ball on the left side. He went to pass the ball back to Tim Parker and kind of reset the play. Parker was at midfield and he kind of botched the reception or at least let the ball play over him a little more. So there was a little space between him and the ball and Henry Martin recovered it pretty easy and, and started going for it. Now Parker tracked back pretty well. So credit to him. And that happened often mm -hmm. Parker or Yarrow this, they would get into this, this scenario where suddenly club America has the ball in the attacking half of the field and they would need to track back to prevent an immediate shot on goal or an immediate chance. And in this case, Martin recovered it, and rather than take on Parker, he held up play. And so Parker got back in defense, but he uh, Martin was able to pass it over to Quinones, who gave it to Richard Sanchez on the right, back to Quinones in the box, in central, in the box. Yarrow then pressed up and cleared the ball for the corner. But that's an example of just in transition how quick things can happen and how right from the get-go, when, when we have to track back and defend – a lot of it ends up being where our high press was at midfield and we end up in a, a in the box very deep having to try and clear the ball or intercept it in in that space we have very difficult times doing much other than slowing them down and then it's a numbers game so if you think about the conversation we just had about the fullbacks being high if club america is in a situation or any teams in a situation where they beat our back line and we slow them down, our center backs slow them down just enough to where they need to create numbers or try to possess the ball. If, our, if their attackers are able to get by our fullbacks effectively and our defensive midfielders effectively and get numbers in the box, it's these passing sequences that can kill us, these short passes to different parts of the 18-yard box. And thankfully, Yarrow happened to clear it here. And there were times later in the game we're going to get to where we didn't clear the ball and it cost us a goal. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it did get cleared. And the problem with the with the second goal wasn't anything to do with this defensive um, defensive issue on the back line or with our fullbacks, but rather, I think, spacing and just an unfortunate um, skill level for Quinones with the header that he received from the cross from Suarez after after the corner. Yeah. And, and you a lot, know, you a lot there. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of uh, turnovers, and I think the only – you covered everything there. But I think just to add to the turnovers, I noticed like just any time we play a team and they have a, a high uh, dual percentage, mm -hmm. I start to worry because I've found that teams that really get stuck in and, and win balls against St. Louis, when their stats really high on uh, the MLS stats, MLS soccer stats – that's something I worry about because they tend to do pretty well against St. Louis. And, you know, this is the first game I've ever seen Leuven lose the ball more than maybe once or twice in a game. It was happening. He was losing duels almost regularly, not regularly, but more than ever, of course. So anyway, I saw that early in the game and I started being like, uh oh, this could be a problem. If Leuven's losing duels, I think this is going to start. This is going to be a systematic problem throughout the game. And it was. Well, I noticed in the uh, back in the first half, so that, that goal happened around 50 minutes, but I noticed in the first half, just being at the game, watching it, um, there were moments where there was some pretty significant frustration, especially by Tim Parker, to other, mm. other members of the defense. And at 34 minutes, Parker was calling Yarrow to step up to man mark a forward. Parker stepped into space on the wing because he didn't want to allow those runs. And so he was trying to learn from 
uh, what he had, ha- what happened earlier in the game. I, I made, it was very noticeable because he looked, he told Yarrow to cover the man that he was covering so that he could just step up into space or step out into space hmm. and prevent a wing run. It was those kinds of things that they're trying to defend and not able to be proactive because they know how they're being beaten. But that was few and far between because later on, around 35 minutes, I noted there was a frustration moment between Tim Parker and Eddie Leuven with that spacing that you're describing. So Leuven not having success in uh, keeping the ball or winning those 1v1s in space, that central defensive midfield. And so often, especially uh, later on in the first half and into the second, the spacing between our midfielders and our center backs was breaking down. Like Mm. we we were trying to use, we were trying to move our defensive midfielders higher up on the field to create more offensive chances. But in the exact same way that our fullbacks caused issues doing that, there the space that existed between our midfielders and our center backs was just as big of a problem. It was. And you mentioned that stepping issue that guys were getting yelled at for not stepping. And and it occurred to me, I'm glad that's so cool you caught that moment that a lot of the early goals. Um, especially that first one, Yarrow stepped actually to the ball, to the midfielder that had moved up. No one was getting him. He had to step to that midfielder. But when he stepped, Parker picked a guy, and then there was another guy running on. And, yeah. and I think Yarrow saw that there was a systematic problem where they've never been tested in this way, where when they step, they're not able to cut off all the options behind them because Club America has this kind of a talent. And it just makes me feel like I wish – um, this is a problem that I think St. Louis with time would have been able to fix even, you know, even with, uh, a difference in talent levels. I think that's the kind of thing that like this game is so good for, because that's the sort of thing I think they could have worked through and become a better team. If they got more games like this, if MLS teams got to play league MX teams more often. And so I would have loved to see that. And I also made me, it occurred to me that maybe a lone six back there, would have helped with those stepping moments because yeah. I do think Blom would have been tracking back or doing the stepping in the first place in these situations. Like you said, those D maids were pretty high. And that's the risk you run when you don't have a dedicated pivot and you're trying yeah. to run a four, two, three, one while having a little more movement and creativity from Indiana and from Eddie Leuven is you, you lose that, that consistency in having, because a lot of the time Blom is defense just, first. No, neither no. one of them. Yeah. And Blome, a lot of the time, if you watch his play, it's not just being a central defensive midfielder. He covers space on the left and the right so mm. often. It's not just between the center backs. He'll be that. He'll realize where where we're deficient in space, the left of the center backs or to the right of the center backs, and he'll fill that gap so often and so well. So he falls mm. back. He's got like an innate nature uh, to know where he needs to be to prevent these gaps. And we didn't have that at all last night. And it reminds me of what a three center back look with Nilsson in the lineup might look like. And so Mm. if you're able to take like a Hebert, a Parker and a Nilsson or something as the three center backs, knowing what we just talked about with the wings, like they're that those are something that I'm looking forward to for the back half of the season as Joachim Nilsson is healthy, but it it didn't, it, it just, the issue persisted in this game and it persisted quickly, unfortunately, because where they score the second goal at 50, 54 was the third goal. And to me, this was the most difficult one to accept. It was after uh, an AZ Jackson dispossession in the attacking third. I mentioned that was an issue the entire night. This one, they crushed us on where AZ had a turnover. He was dispossessed. Club America played the ball pretty quickly and methodically up to their left wing where Quinones now on the left side <laughs> of, of our, um, of their look was, and he switched it over to the middle in the air 
very centrally, right in midfield, where it was just Henry Martin and Tim Parker. And it was almost like they knew that Martin could take Parker. And they, mm-hmm. they just trusted that if they put the ball in the air and they turn Parker around a little bit, then Martin would be able to recover it and do the exact same thing that led to the corner of the second goal, which is Martin's not going to necessarily take the ball himself and just go for it and, and go for goal. He's going to take the ball and he's going to try to play a holdup position where he's waiting for some reinforcements. And the way this played out was pretty picture perfect for them as after Martin recovered the ball, Alvarez was trailing in the middle and right next to Hebert. These were the only two defenders in the area. It was Parker by himself and Hebert tracking back from the left trailing. Unfortunately, I think the ball went off of Hebert because there was kind of like a broken pass that just fell to Alvarez in the middle of the field in stride. He took the ball a little bit and he had Berkey one V one. There was no defender near him at that point. He was beat. He beat both Hebert and Parker and Watts was still high up on the right side. Yarrow was up on the right side. This was a transition moment that they created just by seeing there was so much space and putting the ball into a player like Martin, who has all the skill in the world. Yeah, and um, the Martin was a World Cup <laughs> goal scorer. Just you know, yeah. just to throw that in here, that you know he had one one goal in World Cup and then two in uh, qualification for the World Cup. So this isn't like. He's not just doing well in Liga MX. He's doing well in, in the world stage. Yeah, and Bradley Carnell talked about how this team has mostly been together for three or four years. Martin's yeah. been with Club America since about 2018, mm-hmm. and he's their, he's their captain, and he's been with the Mexican national team for the Gold Cup here recently. So there hasn't been a whole lot of opportunity for a newer acquisition like Quinones and for Martin to, to gel together. But when you're of the caliber of these players, you don't need a whole lot of time. You just need to to provide the ball to each other. And they seem like they'd been playing together for years after the way that they were not just yeah. finding each other, but the way they're playing off of each other. First goal, now third goal. It was um, it, it was really fascinating and really, I mean, as a neutral, it would have been fun to watch. But you just mm-hmm. can't help but marvel at the at the quality of those players. And then. Man, the the speaking to the system of Club America because it wasn't long after that until they were uh, both subbed out and or Quinones was subbed out at least, and then the subs just did the work. They they continued where they left off. There was no. We often have this for St. Louis City where our subs will make a, a big impact because they're fresh legs in the system that works. They they gave us a dose of our own medicine with Zendejas mm-hmm. and Brian Rodriguez to score that fourth goal and. It was so quick after they entered, and it was after another turnover in the attacking third by City. This is a consistent issue that that once we got the ball into the attacking third, I, I'm repeating myself three or four times, mm-hmm. that we turn the ball over and they immediately are able to do something with it. In in the 77th minute, it was a very similar buildup where the ball was quickly cleared, wide left, past the midfield to Brian Rodriguez. He had himself, he was just nine minutes on the field himself. Rodriguez was able to play it to Nestor Arujo transition crossed it back and forth it got to uh, alex alexander uh, zendejas in the middle who easily scored a transition goal and that kind of a, that kind of thing where they were consistently able to do this throughout all 90 minutes it just goes to the high level of quality from club america individual talent the system was so successful and i think just the the differences in abilities between these two teams it was 
I have, uh, you know, nothing to say about that. <laughs> I think one, if I can rewind just a little bit, I think the last thing I wanted to say about this match tactically in a way is, um, that I, you know, I don't complain about the referees very much, but they, in the first maybe five minutes called two weak, weak, weak fouls. And I do think that they set the tone for what this game was going to look like. And that alone uh, put St. Louis at a disadvantage immediately in this game because a, a physical game is a game that's going to be preferable for St. Louis. And if you play a possession style, mm-hmm. uh, a clean game is going to be very much in your to your benefit when you're playing someone like St. Louis because the, the, our guys get stuck in. And it looks like a foul sometimes when half of the time it isn't or it is in certain leagues, but in MLS, that's not been too much of a problem. They settled into this, this gray area of in between a foul and a not foul. And so I don't know. I I felt like that was pretty bad. I thought um, the refs called it about evenly from that point on, you know, a few terrible calls, especially one toward the end that really ticked me off. But, you know, that bothered me from the start. And and I do think it, it threw him off for the entire game. The only other thing that I liked about the way it was called is, you know, Parker got that yellow. That was a little bit weak as well. Pretty early on, I think the 15th minute or something like that. Yeah. And my favorite thing was just a few minutes later when he was one V one with some winger running on, he just knocked him over as in like, I dare you to call that one. Like he deserved a yellow for that one. Um, and yep. you know, he was just dare. It felt like in uh, defiance, he was like daring the referee to call that a yellow and, and ruin this game for all of us uh, by giving a red. And I'm glad he didn't. Um, I just thought it was hilarious that Parker did that. It felt it just, like it was on purpose. <laughs> that was just eight minutes apart. So yeah, 16 yeah. minute was the yellow card. 23 was minute was to me. Yeah. Yeah. It was tracking back on the, on the touchline and shoulder tackling him down. And so the club American player hit the, hit the ground. Um, Parker, Parker did what he needed to do. And I, I do think that, probably played a factor for Parker and it's not anything new is when you get an early yellow like that, you're going to change tactically how you approach some of your, your one V ones and your tackle attempts. And you have to be a little more conservative, especially after that moment, because that's a warning moment where if you do something similar, you might end up with a second yellow. And I think seeing how the ref was calling fouls, not necessarily cards early, but fouls yeah. did impact guys like Edu Leuven and Indiana Vasilev who do like to challenge. They like to challenge a lot. And I mentioned earlier how successful Club America was in possessing the ball, turning their backs to City in those challenges just to keep possession and methodically move the ball up the field. Well, when we're when you're St. Louis City in that scenario and you're facing the players back and you're having to go through their legs to try to get the ball you you can't take too many challenges because you're going to get called for a foul and then a yellow and and it's just that that's how the refereeing can change that kind of a style mm-hmm. to exactly like you said to the benefit of the possessing team one big thing i wanted to talk to you about this is like right in our wheelhouse here matt so i can't let it go uh, without talking about it in the 55th minute uh, Pompeo came on for Watts and there was a massive change and, you know, it became a five back system at that point, probably more yeah. so three. And I love this for multiple reasons. The one is like immediate tactical adjustment. Like it's a, it's a nice way to, to say that we're okay. We're going to come after you for the rest of the match. You know, it, we're not giving up. We're not going to try to defend out and avoid embarrassment. We're just going to go for it because yeah. why not? Right. And I love that from, from Carnell. Um, and so we have 
Pompeo on one wing and we have Stroud on the other wing as wing backs for sure. And then the three center backs at this point were Yarrow, um, who was shortly thereafter replaced by Bartlett because of injury mm-hmm. and uh, Parker in the middle and Hebert on the left still. And it was a cool change. Um, tactically, it, it made City wider. And especially once Bartlett came on, you could tell he'd been watching the game like we had and seeing us, seeing City get burned on the wing over and over and over. I noticed that Bartlett was cheating wide, much yeah. wider than Yara was to protect. Uh, and maybe that was instructions from Carnell for that matter. Um, we should give him credit if that's the case. But, yeah. you know, that was a smart change. I liked the change because of the defensive setup. And I have another thought, but um, it sounds like you have something to say about that, too. Well, that's that's the example that I was saying earlier with with Nielsen coming back and looking at a three center back look because oh, with yeah. Stroud, Stroud shifted over to the right as a wing back. And Celio Pompeu was on the left as a wing back. But if you look at what they were doing when we had the ball, they looked like midfielders or forwards because of how high they got. Three minutes after subbing in, Celio found himself spaced on the left so far to where he made mm. himself, he found space into the box, into the attacking third, into the 18 yard box, and he had a chance. Like that's how high these wing backs were given freedom to move. Yeah. And you have Hebert and Bartlett spacing themselves out on the wings to try and take those away. But that that worked better, I felt, than our our approach for the first 55, especially um, because it did open us up on the wings. And that's where that's a place that we had been very deficient in. We, we talked ad nauseum about our issues on the wings that change that change in shape gave us more cover, I think, on the back. And it also widened out our attack and mm-hmm. gave us more options, options there, too, because. Before that, Rasmus Alm and Jared Stroud both did not have much success at all. And nobody really did in the attacking third. Mm-hmm. I talked about AZ being dispossessed a few times. They didn't do much at all. Salio was in the game for three, five minutes, and Fotmob had him as our top performing player. Just he was. Statistically. And that <laughs> tells you something in both Salio's talent, which I love seeing Salio and his feistiness on the field, especially mm-hmm. when he's able to come in later in a game and just go all out he's able to ball without having to worry about um conserving his his stamina and strength for a full 90 but i think that the shape that he was in with as a wing back and the freedom to to move forward and track back that was an interesting look that gave us a glimpse into um and we've had some success with the three center back look before in this kind of a scenario in little bits and pieces we haven't run a full 90 with this look yet We've always changed to or away from it. Um, I don't know. I, I felt against a team like Club America where they were taking advantage of our wings and they were using possession to to wear us down. That was a, an interesting tactical answer. And usually we have the opposite approach. We Usually we say that these games are close throughout the MLS season and then they get to the 60, 70, 80th minute and mm-hmm. the tactical adjustments go against Carnell and against St. Louis City. This was a little bit of the reverse. I thought so. Um, and just to kind of add to your Celio praise, he wasn't on very long. Before, I mean, the best chance of the game or one of two or three best chances of the game, he created himself. That left-footed shot that went toward the, the far side of, of the goal was a good save from the keeper. And, you know, it was almost a goal. Um, and he created it through dribbling, playing wide, where he, I think he's especially effective. Um, and so it's nice to see him as a wing back if we're willing to sacrifice some defensive uh, capabilities not that he's bad um, it's just like a perfect match he, he he does well out wide and if we can use him as a wing back that that works well 
and he always do that but <laughs> no but I, I do think he does feature well in that role and when mm-hmm. he came on i thought az had a little more success in moving the ball and i definitely thought leuven found a little more success in those 1v1s because mm-hmm. he had options and outlets out out wide that he they didn't have before and so drawing the defenders wider to open up some space centrally that was successful as well and we didn't we didn't have too many too many successful attempts in that final pass that gave a good shot but that that i think was still persistent throughout where we got the ball to the attacking third and we couldn't break their back line instead we would often have these horizontal passing in our attacking third just at the edge of the 18 yard box that eventually would lead to a turnover or a block shot or something but getting the ball into those areas it was fairly efficient uh, later in the game especially uh, after our, our formation change and our subs but there was just no no ability to finish and no ability to get any dangerous shots on goal that night no I'm, i've been searching for the xg do you have it no they uh, haven't been providing it for leagues cup it's bothering me i think i saw that uh club sure america though i think i saw club america's xg was like 2.9 though oh. when i was because i was i was talking to some folks last night and i think that's what somebody said is 2.9 or so which is incredibly high for a team playing in general but i think it's one of the highest if not the highest we've allowed all season yeah i mean that sounds right i mean it's probably a lot of that is probably like 0.2 for every one of those high angled shots that didn't quite make it in goal basically i mean they 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 had 16 total shots they had seven big chances um Mm -hmm. we only had nine total shots with no big chances we had four shots on target they had seven so when you're getting seven shots on target seven shots off target and and a couple blocks from club america you know that's that's going to raise your xg especially because the quinones goal was off a header at point blank range so i have no doubt that was a high xg shot yep uh they nearly doubled our attacking or yeah our attacking stats in both categories of shots and shots on goal so interesting yeah so one of the things too that i noticed is the stats from the passing perspective of this game mirrored the columbus game pretty closely because they weren't that bad is what i noticed the passing stats weren't bad no and the 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 passing and and possession stats were a typical st louis match so if you mm-hmm. just look at it from that that very analytical perspective it seems like we should have done better than we did where our possession was 39 percent. that's right in the st louis city wheelhouse we had uh 358 total passes that's also pretty similar to our average for the entire season and that that in and of itself is kind of indicative to the the overall quality that club america had to prevent us from doing anything in that attacking third mm. because over we, we got the ball to the portion of the field that we're used to to create chances and just nothing came from it and like the columbus game the columbus game we had 36 percent possession and we did have 11 shots on goal pretty similar 277 total passes also pretty similar um if not less and so you're seeing you're seeing similar style teams that we're playing but whether it's the lineups we had, whether it's the talent that they threw at us, the away match for Columbus, the what ended up being home field advantage, you could say, for Club America, like all of those those things played into just a couple of really unfortunate matches. Mm-hmm. Do you have like one more thing you'd like to say about this game? I'd like to kind of get into the random topics next if we can. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're good on Club America. You know, end of the day they are um a lot of these other conversations we're going to have will mm. better inform i think why they just outmatched us so hard 
Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about the roster spending. I know you looked up a bunch of transfer fees for what they said. You know, uh, I think I said it earlier. Carnell said that all 11 players that started this game would be considered designated players in MLS. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's pretty insane to think about. Between Uh, salary and transfer fees. Yeah, yeah. that, that is the case that all 11 would be considered DPs. The market value of both clubs is pretty outlandish. There's like a 50 plus million dollar difference in market value of club America in the 80 millions versus St. Louis city in the twenties. The, the transfer fees are, are what kind of get me over the past few years. Um, we know that MLS has very specific rules on how you build a roster. And those rules have been, uh, criticized by St. Louis city fans in the past. We're recording this on Friday afternoon in the past, uh, 18 hours or so. Hmm. And, and the difficulty and we've, we've done shows. So if you're really curious about the roster rules, we have a, a show in our podcast feed, MLS 2.0, um, I think is what we called it, that goes really, or uh, 200 or something, where it goes deep into, is from last fall around the expansion draft, goes deep in all the rules, the regulations we have to abide by. But with a, with a salary cap of 5.2 million to build your roster, 30 roster slots, and a maximum of three designated players that you can spend whatever on, uh, the maximum salary being $651,250. The, the TAM and the GAM that go into it, you are, you are limited in how you can build your roster. And St. Louis has built their roster economically with Joao Klaus and Eddie Leuven as our only designated players earning what are reported ex- uh, of $3.5 and $1.1 million transfer fees respectively for Klaus and Leuven. Roman Berkey on a max TAM deal million salary. Even even that salary is less than Alex Zendaya's transfer fee to Club America. Mm -hmm. Like That's the kind of perspective that we're dealing with, is that Roman Berkey is making less than the transfer fee for Alex Zendaya's was. And so over the past three years, I saw Club America has 10 players that they've brought in that have transfer fees alone that would make them designated players. So you're not just talking about a hundred year old club with the culture and with the expectations and the history that they have versus a Carnell, what Carnell said was a seven month old club. You're talking about very foundational differences in how players have been acquired and how you're not just fitting players into the system, but you're having to be strategic about which player salaries and classifications can you bring into the system so lutes hasn't he, he was specific about you know not specifically looking for a third dp they've always looked for somebody who will fit the system but in general like you can't go out and spend 10.25 million uh, pounds or million euros rather for a kevin alvarez a right back and mm-hmm. alvarez he, he tore us apart and julian quinones 9.17 million euro transfer fee transfer fees for these players those are the two ones they just brought in and those numbers make it near impossible for the high level liga mx teams and the any level of mls teams to really compete you have to be incredibly um smart and have i think multiple years under your belt in as an mls side Mm -hmm. in order to compete because i look at what fc cincinnati's doing and what they for only the second season, they found success, but it's multiple seasons in which they've been building, gathering the allocation money necessary to bring in players that they mm. can buy down and fit in their roster. Yeah. An expansion side is so limited in what they can do with their not just 
bringing in certain players, but the allocation money in general. You, you can stack allocation money across the years in MLS. So you're given certain amounts, certain buckets of money each year, and you can carry those forward. They don't expire right away. So if you're a team like Miami or Cincinnati who's been in the league for multiple years, four or five years, you can stack these allocation monies, and then you can use them intentionally to sign players who are making one to one and a half million dollars or sign players who are making $750,000 with a near million dollar transfer fee. Like you can have multiple players in this bucket because you've acquired the allocation money over the years to do that. St. Louis City, first first year, we've spent allocation money on guys like Roman Berkey, on Tim Parker, on Joachim Nilsson, on Pedro Blom, their transfer fees. You're limited in what you can do on a transfer window for your first year. And now we've had one guy, Torreson, who the transfer fee alone is borderline top of the salary budget charge. And so you know you're going to spend allocation money on him. You can't compete with the depth that a team like Club America has, even though you're seeing teams like Miami, who's the outlier, but FC Cincinnati, who us today, compete because of their multiple years of it truly is a build in MLS. You you are able to use the money you've acquired each year to be smart. Yeah. And, you know, we've just talked in the last full episode um, about Jorge Mas's uh, comments about the league needing to change with Messi here and then the changing in the spending. Um, and so I, I think this is a perfect time to talk about that again. Um, you know, you, you're mentioning all these transfer fees. The interesting thing about Quinones is, is that he came from, I think, Atlas. And so he came from another league on that side. Yeah. And so that's another league rule that, you know, that benefits Atlas to sell him. And clearly the talent jump for Club America to get him um, is good. But, you know, all we're doing in MLS is, is transferring Tam and Gam back and forth with MLS bucks. It's, you know, competing for a player within the system is illegal right now. And so it'll be interesting to see that one go away. I think it will. I think a lot of people are calling for that. And it's like seems like one of the easier ones for the league to kind of get behind. Um, so I think that'll happen. Uh, but I think that will you know, capitalism will kind of raise the ships in that way, um, in a good way, I think. Um, so that's one to watch. And I guess the big question for me is what do we want MLS to be? And I, I I guess I want to challenge people because I think it's easy for us to say, well, okay, let's just allow 11 designated players in, in each team or just, you know, my favorite one is put a cap on and then you spend however you want to. I love that one. Mm. Um, if we get too much money in MLS, one thing that's been really nice about MLS is the ability to sell these players because they can make more money in Europe and then challenge themselves more. Um, but even under those rules, we see some designated players and they're Americans. Some of the USA's best players, people like uh, Ferreira at, at Dallas, uh, Walker Zimmerman, these guys are not going to leave MLS because they're making too much money. I mean, Ferreira might. He might even take a pay cut to do it. Um, but those guys are making so much money that they don't want to leave. This has been a problem in Liga MX for a long time, where these Mexican players are making so much in their domestic league that it no longer makes sense for them to move to a low-level, um, you know, let's say um, Groningen, like, like where Pepe was last year. They're not going to leave 
Club America making this much money to go play at a place like Groningen. You know, they would need a high-end club willing to pay a lot of money to meet to move. And so they're stuck as good as ML uh, Liga Max is, they're stuck in this league that is nowhere near Europe's level. And so I think the United States has been benefiting from that because they're our players are very happy to move on. They make more money, they get challenged better. And I think Mexicans are starting to realize that. We're seeing several in uh, the Netherlands right now doing really well. Um, but, you know, it's just something to consider. We, do we want our, what do we want MLS to look like? Um, it sounds great to just say, let's spend more money and make it a, a world-class league. There's some downsides to it too. Yeah, and that that's how MLS has gotten to where they are. It's by being controlled in their spending and and pro- progressing slowly. So Even that, if we hate the rules, there's some benefits to it, right? I, I always I always go back to uh, as frustrated as I am currently because we have a team in the league that we're directly impacted and we're, we're, we care yeah. so much about. Is that macroeconomically? Think about what the first division in U.S. soccer has looked like before MLS mm-hmm. and, and how many times it's failed. And the answer is every time. <laughs> and, and most of the times it's because of financial issues. I think every time, in fact, it's financial issues. Mm-hmm. And it may be it may last for uh, a five to 10 year period, but it always has it, it, it always had a failure to it, whether it's the Cosmos spending until they spent themselves into the ground, or it's an entire league like NASL folding because of financial issues. They couldn't keep their teams afloat. When you're allowing teams to spend whatever they want, it's, it has. Back to the, the, the founding of MLS, right? And one of the things when MLS was founded, um, I think the United States of soccer is a good book about this, uh, there was an attempt to have a more open system hmm. in MLS, but nobody wanted to buy into that because of the risk. And so they structured it around this single entity to mitigate the risk to start a league because they had to they had to start a league in order to meet FIFA's requirements for the 94 World Cup. That's the whole reason MLS exists. And so it was slow. It was painful. They contracted early on even. Two teams folded, the Florida teams, Miami Fusion and the Tampa Bay Mutiny. They folded just a few years in. It wasn't until the mid-2000s into David Beckham in 2007 that they were able to start slowly get going. And they added these rules at um, a controlled rate to make sure the league could be sustainable and, and grow. Mm-hmm. And now over the past five to seven years or so, we're seeing more of a turn to thriving and to being a selling league and to having all these rules to incentivize bringing in uh, younger players to develop them in MLS and sell them on. And so we're seeing a very much of a growth phase of the league, whether Jorge Moss and Miami can be successful in being the catalyst and the flashpoint for this massive change. I think that will be, that's the thing to see mm-hmm. because if they can do that, it will be with the assumption that the owners of MLS are so bought in that they're they they are are knowing the league can survive these seismic changes, which they haven't dealt with so far. The seismic change to the extent that Moss is wanting things to happen. Hmm. That I feel more confident now because of the the volume and the I guess fiscal security that the owners now can provide the league. I don't expect any change away from single entity because that's that that would literally change the entire league like mm. structurally. But you can look to change from 
a few slots like designated players and U22s and homegrowns where they provide salary cap relief to pivot to a, a floor or a cap or as um, uh, I think it was uh, Boanga from Philadelphia had said, why don't we implement a uh, luxury tax? Mm-hmm. And so that's another, I mean, there are options to, to protect and to make sure that teams can't spend just absurd amounts without other money being funneled back into the league. The luxury tax is a very interesting way that this could, could grow, but it all is also dependent on what the owners individually want to spend. Because mm-hmm. you have your Jorge Masses, you have your Arthur Blanks, who they would spend a whole lot of money. I don't, I don't have all the confidence in the world that St. Louis would be one of those teams that if we were able to spend a ton more, would just immediately go and do it. Not just for the fact that we haven't so far, but the, the mindset of our sporting director, Lutz, has never indicated that he's always been a, I want to spend as much money as I can to bring the player yeah. I want to. It's, it's not like that. So I don't know for the league in general, I think these are only good conversations because the more these conversations are occurring, the more support and the, the more groundswell it is for the league to be competitive internationally. And that that's what most of this goes for. And that's ultimately one of the big benefits of leagues cup this year Mm. is to spotlight the discrepancy and the disparity between league MX teams and MLS teams, especially the higher caliber on both sides. I think it will be very interesting to see in the knockout rounds when you start to, to see some of the more successful teams uh, like club America or, or Chivas or, or Monterey or whoever it ends up being with these big salaries and these big roster spends, how they're competing against some of the other teams in MLS, like maybe a new England revolution or a, a Chicago fire who mm-hmm. would be good benchmarks to continue having this conversation. I agree. And I think, you know, I, 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 I'm not like super into leagues cup. I think I see it as a really fun tournament. This has been fun. I've really enjoyed, you know, the humbling that we just got for all the reasons I mentioned earlier, but, um, I, you know, I see this as like, maybe the, you know, a lot of people see it as the testing ground for a combined league MX MLS. And I, I've always loved that idea and i'm curious about whether you know the money that would come from an increased tv deal for something like that the ability to possibly implement um some small version of pro rel by doing that and no one losing places you know um i just would love to see the league advance in that way Uh, and i would love to see this kind of a challenge I'm watching the game right now, so I'm pointing at the TV, this challenge against Club America. I would love to see that on a monthly basis, you know, seeing City challenged to that degree because even if they don't do as well, that means they're getting that much better and they're they're used to that much quality on a regular basis. I bet there are some low-end Liga MX clubs that aren't spending a ton more than St. Louis that are better just because they're tested against Club America on a regular basis. So I would love to see that for American clubs, maybe even more so than just dropping the salary cap. And I know those two ideas don't go together, really. It would have to be worked out over a long period of time. But I think it'd be fun, and I think it'd be a, a, a good goal if I were the head of MLS. Yeah, the the interesting thing about uh, the salary spend is I don't believe the yearly salaries are exorbitant amounts, uh, especially compared to MLS sides that spend big on designated players. Hmm. Like it's reported that the payroll for Club America in, in this year is just over fifteen million. Okay, so it's, 
it's it's not the payroll, it's the transfer fees that they're willing to spend on some of these players to get them. Hmm. So Club America is reportedly spending a little over five million on their forwards, but they've spent multiple dozens of millions of dollars in transfer fees mm-hmm. to bring them in. That's that's where you really have okay. it because in the MLS roster rules, transfer fees are a part of the salary budget charge. So you have to count both of those. And so if for the purposes of this conversation, we I, we should count both of those. So yeah. the salary spend is not too out of line from what MLS spends, but it's the, it, again, going back to the flexibility that MLS does not afford their teams. Mm. So there's a difference between what a Club America can do in constructing their roster for 15.4 bill or 15.4 million versus what a Toronto FC or St. Louis could do with the same amount of money because Toronto spends about that money, that much mm. money on the roster and look where it's gotten them. They have no, they have two of the of the most highly paid designated players who both won out, both are, are not successful this year, and because of that, they've hamstrung the rest of their roster. So that that's the big thing is the flexibility, the cap, the ceiling, uh, the floor for all these uh, salary discussions. That's why it matters. And and if you include transfer fees as part of that, that's where Liga Mackies is just in a completely different world from MLS right now and what they can they can do and bring in because transfer fee wise like i mentioned they're they're just splashing multiple players per window in the 10 million dollar range every mm-hmm. single year the salary individual salary wise reportedly i thought it was interesting that even though they have uh reported 15 million uh roster spend overall 10 of their players are making over a million dollars and so they they have elite talent there at the top, and then they have some um, some lower, I think, tier players on their roster as well. It's an interesting way that they have built and continue to build their roster, but they have the freedom to do so. Mm-hmm. And, and it does. I love how you illustrated that uh, transfer fees aren't always, you know, definitive of talent. Um, yeah. That was a good example with Toronto. And also what I was kind of trying to say earlier about Quinones uh, coming from Atlas, that transfer fee might be a bit bloated because inside, in you know, interleague uh, transfers in Liga MX, I mean, it might be getting pretty expensive to transfer guys inside the league because it can be pretty insular, I guess, in that way. So right. um, just things to consider. Love that. I love that the salaries aren't that crazily uh, different from each other. That's yeah, that's and actually good stuff. The the three highest salary teams in Liga Mekis, it looks like are Club America, Monterey, and I believe Tijuana. Okay. Both above are both really? of the three teams. Yeah. If I'm reading my abbreviations correctly, it's Tijuana. Mm-hmm. But if uh both all three are above 15 million in their salary spend, there are some really low salary spend teams. Um and it's not it's not Tijuana, it's Toluca. That's the other. Oh, thing. that makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. Tijuana is actually one of the lower spend teams. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> See, I got my I got my abbreviations wrong. T I J versus T U A. And I'm I'm impressed with myself that I was able to get Toluca because it's been a it's been kind of interesting to learn more about these Mexican teams that I I have yeah. never had a reason to, but that's one of my takeaways from the League's Cup Agreed. is learning a little bit more about the structure and the players in this league has been really fascinating, especially because being at the game last night, like not to get too, I mean, we're probably pivoting to a different topic anyway, but. Oh, we need uh, to wrap it up for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so the closing topic, Yeah, it, it was fascinating. Um, looking back on last night's experience or the experience at the game, because there were a ton of club America fans. And mm-hmm. I have, 
I did not expect to ever, let, let alone in our first year, encounter a scenario where it felt it truly felt like it was a neutral ground at City Park. Mm-hmm. And and this this isn't something that we're ever going to look fondly on as city supporters. We're going to look at it as an anomaly that we don't ever want to happen again. Yeah. But that speaks to the big game nature of this. Like you invite the biggest, the biggest club in our hemisphere to our home. And and we saw what happened. Like none of us should really be too surprised. I think looking back on it, that that occurred, knowing how many fans that they fit into the Estadio Azteca and how many fans they, they travel regularly with like this isn't, and they had a, a Missouri contingent. There's a club America, Missouri banner that they had. They had supporters <laughs> marching to the stadium like this was this it as much as I hate it, City Park felt like a neutral ground, which is what League's Cup intends for all their matches with these mm. traveling League MX teams. So I hope they eventually open it up to League MX teams hosting in Mexico because for both their benefit and I think just the I legitimacy agree. of the tournament, yeah. that would be better. I, I don't want this to be a regular occurrence where we invite like Monterey or Chivas to St. Louis and they travel to the extent that this does. I think St. Louis city park and the, the, all the intangibles that go into the tournament should be skewed towards the home team and their home team stadium. Mm -hmm. It was just a fascinating experience to, to bear witness to that. Fascinating is one word. I was very uncomfortable with it. (laughs) Yeah. It was just as a diehard fan, you know, the level of noise after every club America goal bothered me quite yes. a bit. You know, I was, I, it made me want to scream louder. Um, and so that bothered me and, you know, I would rather club America have home games and have us have to travel there than have us kind of playing their songs and hearing their chants, you know, like I'd yeah. rather it be a home base, like you said. Um, and that's not, I love the culture. I'm into it, but I want my home to be my home. And then I want to go to club America and I want to experience their stadium in, in their way at their place. So um, that was one thing that was not well communicated before the game is that entire circumstance and the, the scenario for, I know why they did it. I mean, they didn't have any home games, so it's fair to kind of do that sort of thing. Uh, But I get it. I get it. But most fans who are at that game don't get it. And, and I saw that was a big thing today is the frustration about not understanding why we were celebrating Club America goals, why they were playing their goal song and then just being so favorable to them post goals and why the announcer was having difficulty with Indiana Vasilev's name and and where was Dan Sweeney, all these different things. Yeah that that nobody really understood because it wasn't well communicated that this was the case and you had people in comment sections and on twitter and facebook just saying okay here's here's what it is here's why but it it doesn't help after the fact because you feel the way you're feeling in the game and if you don't know why something's happening you're going to have an initial knee-jerk reaction that's going to stick with you and that mm-hmm. that part's unfortunate it was but that said i let's end on a positive with that um that you know i was I was really wanting to scream and get into this one. You know, I think we were rallying the ref extra amount um, in this one. And uh, I wanted the, I wanted club America to feel our presence. Right. And so I I really got up for that and I wanted to make sure um, I probably sound angry half the game or all of the game, but you know, I said hello to every club America fan around me. They were all so nice. Most were from KC or Nashville. I found in my areas at least. Um, 
But, you know, we talked, we had a great time. They were all so nice and it was cool to, I thanked them for coming. I welcomed them to our town. Hopefully they hung out a little bit. You know, one guy was like, we paid $800 uh, in gas and tickets just to come here. And that's, wow. I mean, I don't know, hotels, food, drinks, you know, like it was cool of them to show up. And it was nice to host so many Latinos in, in our city because it's, you know, I'd like to see more, more often, you know, I, I liked that. Yep. Yeah, I, I would have liked it to be more competitive, but this was the this was the measuring stick. This is where we get to see how we stack up, and there's a lot to learn from this. Carnell said at post game that there were things to learn. This was the team of the caliber of a Barcelona, Manchester United, Real Madrid. So that's the level that we're seeing from Club America, and I hope we continue to see that from Club America in the rest of this tournament. That's going to be exciting to see how they go up against Columbus on Monday to see the two teams that beat us, how they go toe-to-toe, at lower.com field and just everything that these teams continue to do in playing in MLS stadiums, how they continue to handle the travel, all is going to be interesting. I, I, I am going to look back on this one with kind of, um, wishing for more on the field, but the, the pageantry and everything is, uh, what I hope to be a once in a lifetime thing at city park. <laughs> it's something to remember for sure. Yeah. Agree. Um, well, well, I was going to say, I think there's more to talk about, especially with this break coming up, but yes. we don't have much coming up in the next two weeks. So anything we've missed here, we're going to have a show. Are you guys doing a fallout on Monday still or no? What are we going to fall out? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, no, I, I, was, I was figuring that was the answer, but there's a lot to talk about um, with, I'm mean, sorry, there's not much to talk about. So we can, we can kind of cover the break in the, in the weeks coming up, but it sounds like you, you got something you want to say though. Yeah. I, I think we might still try to do some short thing here and there if there's news or something that impacts city. Um, but follow us on our socials and we'll get more information out when we're going to be doing shows. And um, if there's something to cover, we will cover it. I think that's easy to say. So if it's a 20, 30 minute show in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing it. But remember that Bradley Carnell did say the team is basically off now until August 5th. Mm-hmm. There, there will be players you see get some time with City 2 in the next few weeks. He confirmed that, although he didn't confirm which players outside of Joachim Nilsson. Jo- Joao Klaus is an interesting possibility to me, as Carnell did confirm Klaus has begun return-to-play protocols. So he's ramping up now. City 2 would be a, an obvious place to get him minutes, just like Joachim Nilsson is scheduled to play on July 29th against LAFC 2, I believe, Saturday at City Park. So go out, watch, watch the game. Hopefully you see Nielsen suit up for the first time in the City 2 gray garb. And then anything else that were to happen. So City 2 wise, news wise, we'll try to get a show out and cover it if, if it's there. Sounds good. Thanks everyone for listening. Like Matt said, more to come. It'll be, it, sometimes it's fun to not have too much to talk about. I, I imagine we'll get more of this conversational kind of stuff going forward. So thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.